Mark is an edgy, raw, fast-paced account of God breaking into the world in the most unlikely of places and in the most unlikely of ways. We are introduced to God the Incarnate, the Son of God, our Savior, as an ordinary-looking man we know as Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, who comes from an ordinary village of Nazareth. Jesus has gone out into the wilderness to meet his cousin, this strange but wildly charismatic prophet we know as John the Baptizer. And this is where our story begins. In Mark, there is no lovely birth narrative that we have in Matthew and Luke. There is no lengthy genealogy to connect Jesus with his illustrious ancestors of the Hebrew Bible. There is no cosmic hymn of honor to celebrate the pre-existent word that we find in the prologue to John's Gospel. Not here. Instead, Mark jumps right in, feet first, in the River Jordan along with John the Baptizer with a one-sentence introduction. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. That pretty much sums it up. All this gives the reader an overwhelming sense of urgency. The text is choppy. It's filled, with, it's filled with the word imminently, punctuated throughout the entire gospel. As any biblical scholar will attest, Mark's gospel is really not written very well. It's not what we call a sophisticated Greek. It all seems to be a rushed job. Because this story is too vital, it's too immense to delay its telling. Time is of the essence. Generations upon generations upon generations have waited to hear this good news that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, is here in our very midst. It helps to know that at this time, the ancient world, there is a Hellenistic culture, a Greek culture, that has pretty much influenced a great deal of the life in Palestine the life that Jesus and John knew. And this helps us give us a cultural context so that when we hear the term gospel, good news, it also infers good news coming from the battlefield. In other words, Mark's idea of good news is more than just soft, warm fuzzies you would see in a greeting card. It's much deeper and much more substantive. It is acknowledging that we all come from a place of struggle. And in this place of struggle, this is where we yearn for the good news that will give us hope, hope of the promise of a new life. Life was violent, unjust, and difficult in Jesus' time. And it is so today. And because of the reality of this broken world we live in, we are still desperate for good news as we deal with life's struggles, now more than ever. Years ago, an Episcopal priest began a new ministry. She almost didn't get ordained. 
She shared with the powers that be in the diocese of Massachusetts what she wanted to do, and they thought it was pretty far out there. She went ahead and got her date. In fact, she was honored at Berkeley Divinity School just a few years ago because of this incredible ministry. And it was simple. She wanted to go out and feed the hungry and the homeless in Boston. That's it. What a radical idea. She didn't have a parish. She didn't have a settled congregation. She had no building. What she did have was a vision and a passion to share the good news. And so each day, she would go out in Boston Commons, and if you've been there, it's a huge place. And she would have her volunteers go with her, and they would take a table, and they would set up a temporary altar, and they would do the Eucharist. She would celebrate right there in the middle of Boston Commons. And afterwards, she would hand out uh, sack lunches to those who came. And she, before she began the service, at the top of her voice, she would yell out, Come hear the good news! I have good news to share! On and on, people would come, hearing her, proclaim this. But there's this wonderful story of this one man. He was there in Boston Commons one day. He had been homeless quite a lengthy bit of time. And he heard this voice, this woman's voice off in the distance. Come, hear the good news. I have good news to share. And he said life had really been tough for him a long time. And he hadn't had any good news for a very long time. And he said, I went and I went over there. Because if I needed anything, I needed some good news. Well, as time went on, he went there, he got involved, and he himself became a volunteer, calling out, Come, hear the good news. I have good news to share. This is how God breaks into our lives. Finding us in our places of struggle, whatever that battlefield may be for us, God seeks us out in our own wilderness of our lives to reveal this promise of new life, forgiveness of sins, maybe recovery from addiction, second, third, fourth chances, restored relationships, mended hearts, and new beginnings. Often we experience this holy encounter through the presence of people who come into our lives sometimes so unexpectedly, like that homeless man in Boston Commons who responded to the priest's invitation. That was his holy encounter with her and her volunteers, where the sacred was made possible in that space between them. And in that space was the sacred, the holy, where all things are possible. We are witness to this holy encounter as Jesus goes out to John to meet him in the desert, in the wilderness. And this is such a perfect setting for Advent. The austerity and the bleakness of the desert is the perfect image of where we are right now in this season of Advent. It captures the isolation, the loneliness we often experience when we are struggling with something, whatever it may be. Ironically, it is in the struggle in the wilderness that we are most open to the spirit breaking into our lives. You see, this was John. He has spent his entire adult life preparing himself and others for this very moment when we would encounter the Savior, the Messiah, 
his cousin Jesus. Most likely, what we know about John is he is a member of the Essenes. It was a small monastic Jewish community that lived a rather ascetic, bare, austere life in the wilderness outside the crowding, noisy city of Jerusalem. John had quite a reputation even though he was ascetic himself. He was a gifted preacher, a zealous prophet, and this reputation preceded him. And we see this as all the crowds from Jerusalem, the surrounding villages, have come out in the wilderness to see what this good news he keeps talking about is. We even see, if you read further on, the Pharisees are a little skeptical, but even there they're curious as they stand a distance away to see what this talk of baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, what the world is all about about. In this booming voice, John quotes from the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In his telling of this prophetic message of the coming of the Messiah, it is fulfilled at this point. As Jesus walks towards John and wades into the shallow waters of the River Jordan to be baptized. Now John, this bigger in life, burly character, acknowledges with the greatest humility that someone greater than he is coming, God's own son. Now you would expect Jesus to do the baptizing, but no, John baptizes Jesus. This is necessary to reveal both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. And from this time forward, John will decrease as Jesus increases, sharing the good news. This space between Jesus and John, this incredible encounter in the wilderness, is where God is imminently present. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This sacred encounter is where all things are possible as we turn toward God and turn away from all those things that take us from God, which is the real meaning of repentance, to turn around. It's the same for you and the same for me. And sometimes to experience this holy encounter, this sacred space of possibility and promise, just means showing up. Frederick Buechner, minister and spiritual writer and poet, tells the incredible story years ago when he experienced something in his own struggle in the wilderness. One of his children was quite ill. She was gravely ill and he was very anxious, obviously, and worried sick. He was really struggling. One of his acquaintances, a fellow preacher, pastor, heard this. And he decided he was going to come see William. Now this fellow pastor lived way in the deep south. But one day he decided I'm going to go see Frederick. So he gets in his car, drives all day, all night, up until the mountains of Vermont, where Frederick Bigner lives. He didn't call ahead. He didn't make sure he was even going to be there. He just felt compelled to go to be with him. So he drives all this way. He shows up on the front door 
of Beekner's house, unannounced, knocks on the door. Beekner opens the door. He's shocked. There's his friend. He had no idea he was coming. And so Beekner talks about the next few days, how they spent together. And his friend said, I just showed up because I thought maybe I could help. That's all he said. He said they took long walks together in the forest. They spent time together, sharing meals together. And then a few days later, the friend said, it's time for me to go home. And he returned home. Looking back on this time, Beekner said what was so amazing. He said there were no incredible conversations, no words, no pearls of wisdom, no advice. He said, in fact, we really said very little to one another. He said what was so powerful and healing for me is that he came to be with me in my time of struggle. They had created this encounter, this sacred space, because his friend was willing to show up. And within this sacred space, God showed up, the eminence of God, giving Beekner the peace he needed to be able to wait in an uneasy time while he was in the wilderness. Doesn't mean his daughter was cured any faster, none of that. It was simply being present and allow that space of holiness to take place. The space between old friends is infused with God's presence and hope. And it dispels all that separates us from God. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. This is Advent. It's a time where we wait in the wilderness with all our struggles, whatever that may be. And we can do this because we have hope. And we do it together. Hope in the promise of a Holy One who is to come. Amen.